A number of years ago in a church that I served, we had a family that consisted of a grandmother and a granddaughter. And in between was a woman who, and it was in her mid forties. Technically she was the daughter of the older woman, the mother of the younger woman, but she was seldom at the house. From her very early teenage years, she had lived a very difficult life. She had lived a life of addiction, addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol. She would have periods of time when she was clean and everything was going well and she might even have a job and then she would fall back into old habits, meet up with old friends and would end up back in addiction, living who knows where, worrying her mother, worrying her daughter. But that was just life. And through the years, many pastors had tried to talk to this woman, had tried to, to talk to her about faith in Christ, had tried to talk to her about church. She just wasn't listening. She just did not hear the good news that was being spoken. She, she would not receive that. About halfway through my appointment there, I was going to be out of town for two weeks. I made arrangements for everything to be covered. I had one retired preacher coming in to preach on Sunday mornings. I had another retired preacher who had served this church earlier in her career agree to handle any pastoral care needs. So everything was taken care of. And about two days after I left, this woman got sick and ended up in the hospital. The years of abuse had finally taken their toll on her body, and her body just could not support her anymore. She was dying. So she moved from the hospital to inpatient hospice. The pastor who was covering for care of the, the folks in the congregation went to visit her nearly every day. I don't know what was different about this time. I don't know if maybe she chose different words or maybe if it was just the fact that death was imminent and it was very obvious that the end was coming soon and these words were somehow more precious or, or made a different impression, but somehow this woman heard what the preacher had to say. And what she heard was that God loved her anyway. She was a drug addict and had been all of her life, but God loved her anyway. She had failed her daughter in a multitude of ways, but God loved her anyway. She had failed to keep the promises that she had made to her own mother and to other family members, but God loved her anyway. Somehow that word anyway just sunk deeply into her heart and took root, and she came to understand that she was a sinner, but God loved her anyway. And as a result of that understanding, she expressed faith in Christ. She experienced a peace that she had not known in her entire adult life, and she died with peace in her heart. I got home the morning of the funeral, got ready for the funeral, got to the funeral home, spoke to the family, prayed with the family, sat down in the back of the chapel at the funeral home and began to pray for the pastor who was going to do this funeral, began to pray that, that God would give her the words that she needed to say. And I began to wonder what scripture she was going to use. 
Was she going to talk about John 3:16 and the promise that anyone who believes will have eternal life? Was she going to use a passage from Romans and talk about the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God? I began to wonder how she was going to bring grace into this sermon. I knew that she would, I just wondered how. And when the service started and she stood up to preach the eulogy, she began to read a passage of scripture and I have to tell you, I started crying. I reached for Kleenex. There was no way to do anything else because the passage of Scripture that she had chosen was so perfect. It was so wonderful. It was not your usual funeral passage, but it was just so absolutely perfect. I want you to hear this morning the passage of Scripture that she read at that funeral. From Matthew chapter 20, the first 16 verses. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, to those of us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landowner answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for this wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This sermon today is the third in a series of sermons entitled, No Fair. God, what are you doing? How can you treat us like that? It just doesn't feel fair. The first sermon was about how to deal with conflict in the church, how you handle a, a brother or sister in Christ who mistreats you, and Although the instructions in that passage are often difficult to follow, we can do it. We can gather up our courage and we can follow the instructions of Jesus. The second sermon was about forgiveness. Peter asked, how many times do we have to forgive? So the sermon was a study in how many times we should forgive and why. And the answer was that we should forgive as many times as it takes for us to forget the offense and we should do that because that's the way God offers to forgive us. 
the bottom line is simple. God forgives us the way we forgive others. If we're stingy with our forgiveness, God will remember that when we go to him asking for forgiveness. And then the scripture today about the pay for the workers in the vineyard. This is probably the hardest to accept. But let me just assure you, this is really not about pay. It's not about reward. It's not about wages because we already know the wages we have earned. God has already made it very plain. Proverbs tells us that the wages of the wicked equal sin and death. And Romans tells us that the wages of sin are death. Think about it. When was the last time you sinned against God or against a brother or against a sister? When was the last time you sinned? If you have sinned even once in your life, and I know that we have all far exceeded that one minimum, but if you have sinned even once in your life, God has already told you what you've earned. You have earned death. The good news, based on this story in Scripture, is that God does not pay us what we have earned. He pays us based on His gracious promises and His generous and abiding love. In the story today, Jesus starts off with a passage that, that we're very familiar with. We've heard it before. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like... And if you'll remember several weeks ago when there was a sermon preached about several aspects of the kingdom of heaven, I pointed out to you that Jesus was using present tense. He wasn't saying that the kingdom of heaven will be like this or the kingdom of heaven used to be like this. What he was saying is the kingdom of heaven is like this now. And that present tense continues Right now, with this story in Scripture, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven right now, right here with us, is like a landowner. It's time for harvest. He owns a vineyard. The grapes are ripe. It's time to pick the grapes. And the normal staff that he has in the vineyard, they're just not enough. So he goes out to the location where the day laborers wait, hoping that someone will hire them. These are people who don't have a job. They, they don't have a ready source of income. They don't have a reliable source of income. They, they stand around waiting till someone hires them to pay them for the day so that they can take food home to their family in the evening. So he goes out to this day labor camp and he finds some folks there. He negotiates with them based on what a fair wage would be in the day and he sends them to the vineyard to work and they go happily. They will work for the day, they will earn their money. He gets back to the vineyard and he realizes that he doesn't have enough. There aren't enough laborers, he still needs more, so he goes back to the day labor pool. Now let me just ask you, where is that location in Macon? There is at least one in a town the size of Macon, there are probably several places where people who don't have a regular job wait, hoping that someone will, someone will come and offer them a day's worth of work so they can at least have some income and some way to buy their food. When we lived in Cordell for four years, there were two different places that you could go to find people like this. One was at a picnic table outside of Walmart with a little shelter over it. 
It was supposed to be for an outdoor break area for the Walmart employees, but they were seldom out there. And the people who sat there were people who were hoping you would come and tell them that you had an afternoon's worth of yard work to do. And you might give them 20 bucks if they would come and do it, because they would. And they sat there for 10 months of the year, but the two months of the year when the melons were coming in, and just in case you didn't know it, Cordell is the watermelon capital of the world. When the watermelons and the cantaloupes and all the other melons were being harvested, these same people would go to the farmer's market. There they had the same situation, a picnic table under a very small shelter where they could wait. And as the trucks came in filled with melons or the, the stripped down school buses came in filled with melons, they would help unload the trucks and they would get paid a few dollars for their few minutes of work. And at least they knew they could eat. These are the kinds of folks that this landowner was looking for. So he goes back out at nine and he still needs more, he goes back at noon, and then he still needs more, so he goes back at three, and every time he finds more workers, and this time he doesn't negotiate for a day's rate, he just says to them, I will pay you a fair wage, go and work, and they do, and he still needs more workers, so at the end of the day, five o'clock, one hour left to work, he goes back and he finds people who are still standing there, and he says, why? why are you still standing here? And they say, no one wanted us. No one would hire us. We've had no offers. And at this point in time, the landowner doesn't even negotiate salary, doesn't even mention wages. What he says is, go work. Just go do work in my vineyard. And these are men who had already given up on getting a job for the day. They had already resigned themselves to having empty bellies for the night, perhaps their families having empty bellies for the night. So they were happy to go work for even an hour, but they did that knowing that all they could do was rely on the generosity of the landowner. He could offer them a loaf of bread. He could offer them a scrap of bread. He could offer them very little for their hour's work, but they could hope that he would be generous and offer them more, so they go work. And at the end of the day, at six o'clock, the landowner tells his foreman, line them all up, pay them all the same wage, start with the last ones brought in. Can you imagine how the, the five o'clock people felt? They were anticipating empty bellies for the night, and now they've got a day's wage. They can buy food for their families. This was just generosity beyond anything that they had anticipated. And the, the people brought in at 3 o'clock, well, they had only worked three hours. That was okay with them, a full day's wage. And the people brought in at noon, they had anticipated a half day's wage, but they got a full day's wage. And the people brought in at 9, they were beginning to think, Maybe this really isn't fair, but they took it. And then the people who were there at the crack of dawn at six o'clock in the morning said, what are you thinking? We have been here all day. We have done backbreaking labor all day. We have worked in the heat of the sun. We have done everything you ask us to do. And you are making these other people equal to us. Shouldn't we get paid more than they're getting paid? You're, you're making them equal. What are you thinking? And the landowner says, why are you so upset? We had an arrangement. You're getting exactly what I promised. Why are you upset? Because I'm being generous with the other people. 
Isn't it mine to be generous with? This story closes with the last shall be first and the first will be last. The last in this story were unwanted. No one wanted to hire them over the course of the day. Have you ever felt unwanted, uninvited, unwelcome? Think about the child who is not athletically good, the child who is athletically challenged and who is perpetually the last person chosen when P.E. divides up to play some sort of game like dodgeball or basketball, how do you think that child feels knowing that he or she is going to be chosen last? Think about the children who look different, the children who have a different accent, the children who don't have the most popular clothes. They are often made to feel unwelcome unwanted, and unfortunately, that doesn't just happen with children. It happens with adults. People are made to feel unwanted. These workers who said to God, you're making them equal to us, were basically saying these people are unwanted and you're giving them the same thing you're giving us. Why are you treating us as equals? That's not fair. And the truth of the matter from a human perspective is it isn't fair. But we're not talking about a human perspective. We're talking about God's perspective. And God's perspective is very different from ours. So let's take a few minutes and let's consider God's perspective and what God thinks is fair when it comes to grace and generosity. The first thing I want you to know is that grace can't be bargained for. It's not like we're little children making a Christmas list for Santa Claus. Some of us are old enough to remember when the Sears and Roebuck Company would make a Christmas catalog, and it would come in early fall, and I was always so excited when it would come, and I would slowly turn every page, and I would look at everything in there, and I would start counting up how good I had been all year and how much gooder I could be between then and Christmas so that I could make a long Christmas list. The truth of the matter is I wanted to just take the catalog and hand it to my mother and say, yes, please, I'll take one of everything. But I knew that wouldn't fly. So I had to calculate goodness and begin to think about how I was going to bargain for what I wanted to go on my list for Santa. But God's grace can't be bargained for. We are like the workers who came in at the very end of the day. All we can do is depend on the generosity of the landowner, depend on the generosity of God to give us what God believes is fair and right and just. And not only can we not bargain for God's grace, we can't demand that God refuse grace to other people. 
God is not going to take a medicine dropper and put a little drop of grace on one person's head while he pours out a bucket full of grace on another person's head. That's not how it works. God has more than enough grace to spare, and he is going to pour it out over all of us. And when we demonstrate how mean-spirited we can be by saying to God, you can't treat them like that, God looks on us with displeasure. God's grace can't be bargained for, but it can be requested. It can be requested because God is gracious, God is generous, and God keeps his promises. God has promised that he will love us, that he will uphold us, that he will care for us, that he will fill us with peace. God has promised that everyone who turns to Christ in faith will become one of his children and will receive the eternal reward of life in heaven with God himself. God has promised these things, and when we turn to Christ in faith, we can request these things of God. We can write them on a list. We can hold on to them because we can trust God to keep his promises. Another thing about God's grace is that God is always looking to find more people to pour his grace out upon. God is always looking to invite more people to the party. God is always looking to invite more people to the vineyard. God is always looking for that lost person who hasn't heard that he loves them anyway, and he's looking for any way he can to reach that person, to bring that person in, because that person represents a soul and when that soul is saved, God is pleased. God is always looking for ways to share his grace with others. And folks, he expects us to be doing the same, to always look for ways to share his grace with others. It's a tough thing for us to accept that those of us who have been Christian for years are going to be in heaven with people who profess faith on their deathbed. Somehow it just doesn't seem fair, but perhaps it's easier for us to understand God's perspective if we look at this story not from the perspective of the, the end, not from the perspective of how much the workers are paid, but if we look at, at, at it from the perspective of being invited to work in the vineyard at all. The invitation to work in the vineyard, the invitation to do God's kingdom work is a gift in and of itself. I have a, a clergy colleague who is a second career minister, and he says that his one regret is looking back and realizing that a large part of his early life was spent not working for God. When we look at this story as not being about what happens in the end, but instead being about the work that God calls us to do, the kingdom that God calls us to create in the here and now, then being invited to work is a sign of God's grace and God's generosity. And we should celebrate the invitation to work no matter when we respond to it in our lives. And we should celebrate the many people who respond after we do and come and join us in the work 
regardless of when that happens. You see, this story is really not about getting paid a fair wage for the kingdom work we're called to do. This story is about God giving us graciously and generously all that he can so that we have more than enough to share and we can share with others and invite them to come in and be a part of the work too. God's grace is overwhelming. I invite you to receive that grace now and not begrudge God as he shares it with all of the people around you. Receive it knowing that he has an adequate supply to cover you and everyone else. If God is generous with me, shouldn't I just be grateful for that? If God is willing to invite me to heaven because of my faith in Christ, shouldn't I be grateful for that and leave the rest of the decisions about who else gets invited to heaven entirely up to God? I think that would be an appropriate response. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.